All right. Um, so my name is Sheila. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm grateful to be here. And uh, thank you, John and Abstentia, for asking me to come. And I think I've been in conversation with Diane at one point as well. So thank you. It's really good to be here. I haven't uh, shared at this meeting in a couple of years. So this is a, this is a great meeting, great space, great day. I, I, uh, it's ironic that I'm here on Halloween. And um, because I just had a, an incredible problem with sugar. I, I, it's just amazing the amount of sugar that I ate. I started, um, and it was it was linked up with um, some of the real drama that I experienced in my home and outside of my home. I was the youngest of five kids. My oldest brother's deceased. He died of diabetes. I might have time to get to that later. My mother died of diabetes as well. There's a lot of diabetes in my family. I had an 11-year-old niece who got diagnosed with diabetes about 10 years ago. So again, it's pretty rampant, as are some other autoimmune uh, diseases in my family. Um, but um, I, again, I was the youngest of five, and I was probably an unplanned pregnancy. My mother had four children, and they were all within a year, year and a half of each other. And then I came almost four years later, and my mom had come from a violent uh, alcoholic home and uh, got married at 19 and had five kids by the time she was 26. And she unfortunately married into another violent home. And um, again, I... My mom had just run out of gas by the time I came. And um, when I was four years old, I always used to go with my mom to a grocery store. And we had a family friend who owned this store. And he would give me inappropriate kisses in exchange for candy bars in the front of the store. And I don't know where my mother was, but she wasn't in the front of the store. And um, I can remember the day that I just thought, this is unacceptable. I'm not going to endure these wet kisses. I mean, even then, I just knew there was something wrong with us. And... Um, so I started stealing candy bars, Milky Way candy bars. And, um, and stealing was a big part of my story. Because when I was seven years old, my oldest brother, the one I referenced, who's deceased now, died at 36, um, got diabetes. And my parents, well-intentioned but fairly unsophisticated people, both grew up pretty poor. My father had gone to school on the GI Bill, but um, you know they didn't have a lot of tools. They got rid of all the sugar in the house. So now I'm seven years old, right, and all the sugar's out of the house. But I've already established three years before that I'm willing to start stealing. So the stealing continued, right? And um, when I ended up in here and had amends to make, there were, there were a lot of amends I had to make for food that I'd stolen. And I was a babysitter and, um, you know, I must have, you know, I am. I'm very good with kids. I love kids. I always have. And... Um, but I was really good, and I must have been, because I wasn't even just, you know, everybody jokes and talks about babysitting and getting into people's food, but I mean, I got into people's food. <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember being in a job, it was my first time in this situation, and, and the woman brought me in, and there was, a, there was a pie on the counter, because, you know, it's really important to pay attention to those things when you're coming into a new job, right? Pay attention to the important stuff, like where is the food? And there was an apple pie on the counter. And here's the interesting thing. And again, hopefully I'll get to something else funny about this. There's an apple pie. Um, and she said something about, you know, having made this apple pie because her Aunt Margie was coming tomorrow. Now, here's the thing. I don't like pie, one. And I, if I was going to eat a pie, an apple pie would probably be one of the last pies that I would eat. So I don't like apple pie. So, of course, I ate half of that pie, right? So the woman comes home and she said, you ate half of the pie. I said, I, I did. She said, but I told you I made that for my Aunt Margie who was coming tomorrow. And I thought, well, I left her half. <laughs> and, she, 
and she, you know she was furious and I, I'm assuming she paid me but boy she never had me come back again that kind of stuff right that that kind of eating like that kind of invasive hurtful behavior and um, and oh when I was 10 years old I was molested and that's just a big part of my story it just is and, and unfortunately the statistic I've heard varying figures and I'm not going to quote one because I've heard things that are pretty diverse but there's a it's a pretty high number in terms of people who end up with eating disorders and people you know molestation or incest my oldest brother had molested my sister but he didn't molest me but I was molested by a family friend he was actually the cousin of the grocer that I'd referenced before and he had a root beer stand and I used to spend a lot of alone time with him one summer driving around in the back of his Buick his brown Buick like where was my mother I don't know but you know how did I get here what am I doing in the back of your car and um, uh, so I was really, you know, I was a really traumatized little girl. I really was. And again, I, my parents well-intentioned, but just didn't have a lot of tools. So I started, I was thin, I guess, in junior high. I mean, I was a cheerleader in the seventh grade, and I was the one that went on top. But I know that by the time I got to ninth grade, so I'd already started menstruating, I had gone through puberty, I was a base, right? I was still a cheerleader, but a base. And we're the ones who, you know, bend over so the little girls can jump on us and start piling up on top of us. And then by the time I got to high school, I was too heavy to be a cheerleader. So I kind of went on a different track. And um, I have no illusions that it, this, eating disorders are as painful for men as they are for women. But I just know that there's, it's just something really is different. Well, I don't even know that. Let me just not even go there. But here's the thing. Here's where I really got into trouble is that my father had three overweight daughters. I was the heaviest. I was the youngest. He had three overweight daughters and he didn't like it. And he was very clear about that and made a lot of comments, a lot of inappropriate comments. Um, and that's, and again, perhaps the, a son would experience the same devastation if a father was saying unkind things to him about his body. But I'll tell you what, when you're a little girl and your daddy brings home the point that you're not lovable and you're not beautiful because you're not like this right you do a lot of damage so then all of a sudden promiscuity you know gets brought into the picture and again remember I had that woundedness with the molestation I mean it was just trouble trouble just a lot of it just a lot of pain you know I was just in a lot of pain for a long time and I always felt alone and I was alone, you know, again, my, by the time I had gotten into elementary school and my older sister, again, was four years ahead of me. So when I, I ended up, when I was in the fourth grade, all of a sudden, um, I was alone by myself. I went to a, a elementary school and came home for lunch and my mother wasn't there. Now, my mother didn't work full time. You know, my mother was a bowler, right? She loved bowling. She was on like six or seven bowling leagues, right? <laughs> I know. And then during the summer, she was a hellacious golfer. She'd leave the house at 8 o'clock in the morning and come back at 6 o'clock at night, right? It wasn't unusual for my mom to golf 45 holes of golf in the summer, right? She was just, she just was wanted out. She wanted out of the house. But the problem is I was in the fourth grade, and I'm coming home alone trying to make my lunches. And my father uh, had grown up, and his father was a butcher. So my dad started to achieve some success and so we bought two freezers and we filled them with beef frozen beef you know we used to get buy beef by the cow and um, you know I would be home in the fourth grade and I was broiling steaks for lunch I mean like pulling out I can remember pulling out packages and it would have like ribeye you know sirloin whatever and I didn't know what those things were I just thought well, I don't know I mean I know it's a steak so I would broil it and I was eating what probably 10 ounce you know, ribeyes before heading back to school, like 
what kind of catatonic state must I have been in when you're in the fourth grade and you've just eaten a ribeye, right? And you're at the school, right? That kind of stuff. Like, just, I was alone all the time, and I just felt such aloneness. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I still struggle with that. And I can, I can feel alone in a crowded room, you know? And I've been here a long time, and I'm in the mother program. I've been there longer, and I've been in Al-Anon a year before that one. So, I, I've, 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 participate fully here I sponsor and I'm sponsored I've I have a sponsor who mandates that I make outreach calls on a on a daily basis three outreach calls six you know calls if I don't reach people live and leaving messages or three live outreach calls and calling her on a daily basis so I do a lot of those things but there are some things that some grooves that run pretty deep here so I'm very very clear that I'm never going to get to the point where I don't need to be here you know that I know because there's just still a lot of you know a lot of pain and uh, uh, but I, I'm so grateful that I have the rooms to come to. I really am. And, you know, as far as my food, how, how everything kind of evened out there. So my top weight is 200 pounds. I weigh about 135 now. I'm 52. I just turned 52 three days ago. Right. So um, uh, it's cool because I've been in the rooms now longer than than not. So it's it's good. It, it's good. I, I need what you give me here. But um, I had an incredible problem with sugar. As I said, you know, I started doing the stealing of sugar, had all those amends to make again. Just, I mean, I had worked at a fast food restaurant that, you know, has its own charity and, and uh, you know, had to make a donation to that, you know, to that charity and stuff because I worked there in college and ate a lot of food, gave a lot of food away. Again, just stealing was a huge part of my story. And somehow I thought, Despite the fact I'd been in the other program and kind of taken care of some of the business, having stolen from my father, working in his businesses and, you know, different employers and things. And, but somehow I, I didn't think that when you've stolen food or you've, you've gotten into people's stuff that that was something you had to make amends for. It was just kind of a, a living amends type thing, if you will. And I remember a sponsor saying, living amends? What, what, what is that exactly? And I said, well, as I understand it, right, a living amends means... You know, you're not going to do it going forward, and you're going to live a good life going forward. So we can just forget about this behind me. And she said, well, that's, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. She said, I'm going on the assumption you want to make a living amends. That's why you're here. Your life is to be a living amends, darling. She said, but if you stole stuff or you ate somebody's food that doesn't belong to you, you owe something to the world. So let's figure that out, shall we? So I did. I mean, I had to come up with a figure and made a donation to a, a food pantry. And then, as I said, I made a donation to, you know, this, this charity that this big fast food restaurant has. And, you know, those were things that I had to do. And she also said, now, if you want to talk about a living amends, how about if since you did so much taking of other people's food, how about if any time in the world anybody wants some of what you have, you share it with them? So that's also part of my living amends. Anytime anybody wants a bite of my food, I'm, I'm willing to give it to them. Now, my husband is very well trained. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like he's, he's going to ask <laughs> wisely. But, um, but I'll tell you what, I just, just a couple of weeks ago, right, I'd, I'd gotten, I was visiting family, my husband's family, who have not been well trained. And my sister-in-law was sitting right next to me, right? Everybody's at the table, and they put this wonderful dish, and I was the only one who got it. And she leaned over, and she said, can I have a bite? And she's got her fork in her hand, right? <laughs> I'm thinking, what's that? And I remembered, you know, because it's just been such a long time. Because, you know, the reality is most people don't ask for some of your food. But, I mean, she, you know, and I said, 
yeah, sure, right? So she, you know, she takes a bite and takes it. And then, you know, I mean, I just remember, like, that's, this is what I, you know, this is what I do. So, I, again, I had a problem with sugar right from the get-go. And, um, and I, I just was not done with the sugar for a long time. And I came in here, and I was really, really lucky. And here's the thing. I'm going to throw this out there. And, you know, quite obviously, anybody in this room can get up here and share, and everybody's going to do this differently. All I can do is share with you from my experience. But the direction I got from my first sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous was work the steps regardless of what you're eating. She said, I don't care what you're eating. I want you to work those steps. So I got to a four step and I was still in the food because I stayed in the sugar. I was not done. I was not. That's the whole deal is whether or not somebody's done. That's all this is about in terms of putting down the food. And it is not my business when anybody gets done. But I got to the fourth step, and I was still in the sugar. And she, I said, you know, is this what I'm supposed to do? And she said, I, honey, she said, I don't care if you've got that pen in your right hand and a Snickers bar in your left hand. She said, you get that fourth step done. And I thought, well, first of all, I don't eat Snickers bars because they have peanuts in them, and peanuts slow me down, right? <laughs> so any kind of nuts. I never eat nuts in my food, right? I, I want to do very little chewing when I'm binging, especially with something with sugar. So, you know, no nuts. But, um, you know, there were there were four steps. And again, I, I, this all happened for me in the Midwest. And we were largely influenced by the Alcoholics Anonymous of Bob Smith from Ohio. And his theory was, in, in contrast to the New York group, right, Bill's people, was that you go through the steps over and over and over again. Right. So I did, you know, my first three or four or five four steps in Overeaters Anonymous. I, you know, I, I can remember having food stains on the paper as I'm reading this fifth step to a sponsor. But the direction was you work the steps regardless. And here's the thing. When people want to debate about that, whether or not you can work the steps when you're still in the food. you know, Oh, you wouldn't do that in Alcoholics Anonymous. You're right. But I'm not talking about Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm talking about Overeaters Anonymous. And it's a different game here. That's all I can tell you. From my experience, it's a different game here. It's accessing. There's something different that's going on when I'm using the food. And for me, it was linked up with shame. It was linked up with my family of origin and linked up with um, that molestation. That's all I can tell you, right? And I am thoroughly convinced that I came out of the chute with an allergy to sugar. I am not somebody who has a big debate about that. And, you know, the whole red light, green light foods, I don't know. I'm not even sure what a red light is. As my, you know, a buddy of mine always says, you know, the problem with me kind of talking about red light foods, I run red lights. So, you know, it's just not, it's not, that's not it. What I've got to do is I've got to figure out what it is I have the allergy to, you know. And I'm telling you, for me, I've got an allergy to sugar, right? It's that page 30 in More About Alcoholism. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. This is not something that I'm going to, after a period of time in program, that I'm going to be able to bring sugar back into my life. That is not going to happen. I have an allergy to sugar. I take sugar into my body and something happens. It's not going to go away. For me, it's just not going to go away. And, um, and I'm glad. I'm glad that I know that and I accept that today. But it took me a long time to be done and be ready to put down the sugar. And here's the thing, though, in terms of the value of working the steps, despite the fact I hadn't put the food down for really the first dozen years that I was here. Despite the fact I was working the steps, going to meetings, sponsoring, being sponsored, the whole thing. I came in at 200 pounds, and I told you, I came from this family where my dad was very critical 
of his overweight daughters. And I got the worst of it because I was the youngest, I was the heaviest, and who knows why, right? Maybe I just, I don't know. But um, I came in and I was working the steps for the first couple of years, and I'd come down. I haven't weighed 200 pounds since I came in here in 1988, and I was at 180. Right, so now I'm 26 years old. I weigh 180 pounds. I've been in OA for a couple years and the mother program, and um, I'm working the steps. I've been through the steps at least once or twice. And I, we'd gone to a family event, and I walk outside and I walk by my dad, and I can see it. I can see the picture that was taken. I can see the outfit I was wearing actually. And I walk by my dad, and I get by him, and he said, "Well, you've lost a little bit, but you got a lot more to go." So keep going, keep at it. And my family's all around, right? Because he would say this stuff in front of people. And I turned around and I said, no more. That's it. You do not talk to me about my body anymore. It's over. You don't talk about my body. And everybody, you know, was so shocked. You know, because they just weren't used to that kind of response. Nobody talked back to my dad that way. And he never, never talked to me about my body weight again, ever, right? So that's why I don't debate with somebody or get into arguments like some people want to do because we're 12-steppers and we're opinionated and we want to argue about this. But there's nothing for me to argue about. Very clearly, I had experienced some recovery because I got to say to my father, the most important man in my life up to that point, Right, who was going to set a pattern for all the men that were to come afterward, Right, I got to say to him, this is not okay. I deserve respect and love and adoration, regardless of what I weigh. And if you can't give me the love and the adoration, I still demand the respect. Right. So I'm very, very clear that working the steps was the way out for me. And I needed to do that for another 10 years before I was ready to surrender the food. Because I've been here, what, 28 years, and I've, I only have 15 years of abstinence. So I just wasn't done. And that's, that's my whole thing that I do in terms of working with people. I work with chronic slippers exclusively, right? Very good, so five left. I work with chronic slippers exclusively. I always say I want the sponsy that nobody else wants. Right? I want the person who's been here for a long time who feels like, for whatever reason, they haven't been invited to the party. That's what I want. And what we do is we work the steps as they're outlined in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I love the OA literature. I love it. I've done, I've done that workbook two or three times. Right? Love our OA stuff. I love it. Right? But for me, what really resonates for me and what tends to work very, very well for people who've been here for a long time is looking at the very specific direction that we're given in the big book, right? And I love it. I love it. And it says on page 29, right? In case, you know, because there, there are also people who want to have the conversation about suggestions, right? It's all suggestions. And that is, it talks about it somewhere in the AA 12 and 12, that it, these are suggestions. The 12 steps are suggestions, is actually what it says. And that, the, that's a very popular thing with people who don't really want to do too much, quite frankly, right? But on page 29, it says, clear-cut directions were given about how we have recovered. I'm paraphrasing, but look for it, right? Clear-cut directions. 
So I always say to people, you can you can call you can call them whatever you want. You can call them suggestions. You can call the steps suggestions. You can call all the specific directions that the book gives you suggestions if you want. You can call them, call them butterflies. Call them whatever you want, right? But for me, if I'm going to call them a suggestion and you want to call them a suggestion, I would invite you to think of it as like a suggestion that somebody would give you. If you fall in a pool and you don't know how to swim, I suggest you start moving your arms and your legs. Right? That's all I can tell you. All I can share with you is my experience. And I came here and I started working those steps and there was a transformation here. And here, I'll close out with this. And here's where it came from, right? Because the whole deal here doesn't have anything to do with food. It would be great if being weighing 200 pounds had been my problem. That would be great if being fat had been my problem. That was never my problem. I wish it had been my problem. It wasn't. And, you know, myriad character defects and all that stuff, everything that turns up, right, on step six, all that stuff, all of it. But it all boils down to two things. There were two, two issues. They're the same two issues I had when I came in, and they are the same things I wrestle with to a much lesser extent today. I do not love easily, and I do not forgive easily. Those are my issues, right? And think about it. I was molested. My mommy was nowhere in sight. I'm getting French kissed in the front of a store by a grocer when I'm four years old, and my mom is nowhere in sight, right? I'm coming home with candy bars. She didn't buy them for me. Wasn't she curious about that, right? So... It's, it's no surprise that those are the things that I struggle with. But here's what happened here. So I came in here, and on that first four step, right, and it was uh, my sponsor. I don't know if it was the first or whatever time it was. At some point in OA, a sponsor took me through uh, the steps as are outlined in the big book, right? And so I'm doing a four-column inventory, right? The three columns are on the, you know, in the page in the book, and then on the following page is where it talks about in the prose, the fourth column. So I've got that. So I write this guy's name down, right? Let's just call him Joe, the guy who molested me. So I resent Joe. Molested me when I was a kid. Affected me in all these areas. That's the third column. And then the fourth column, again, which it talks about on the following page in prose. And it says that I am to look for where am I selfish, dishonest, and fearful. And it also references self-seeking, but that seems just like selfish to me. So those, three, those are the big three things that I'm looking for in the fourth column. Where am I selfish, dishonest, and fearful? Well, if you've been molested, it's easy to see where you're fearful, right? That's easy to get. But the dishonest, right, that, I, I, didn't, I didn't get that, right? Where am I dishonest? And so my sponsor said, well, you've got Joe on your list. And since we know that, you know, resentment is just a $2 word for I don't forgive you, asshole, Right? That's what a resentment is. Right? Right? That's what a resentment is. So I don't forgive you. Um, she said, uh, so Joe's on the list, so you don't forgive him. And I said, no, I don't. She said, have, have you done anything hurtful to anybody? Is there anything you need forgiveness for? And there was. There was plenty of material. I have some big ticket items. Remember, I talked about that promiscuity and stuff. I have big ticket items. So I said, well, of course. And she said, then is it dishonest for you to not forgive Joe when you need forgiveness in the world? I said, yeah, I think so. She said, now let's talk about the selfishness. And I said, you know, and I started crying. And I said, this is, you know, I got molested. I was 10. Inappropriate behavior started when I was four. 
And I don't know, who knows, maybe my brother was involved at some point too, he molested my older sister. You know, this is terrible. And she said, she took my hand and she said, she said, do you get it that this, I know that, the, and I will close up with this, do you know that this is terrible, that this happened to you and I get that? And I knew that she was looking in my eyes, I said, I do, I do. She said, I'm really sorry this happened to you. She said, and she leaned in closer and she said, and there are tragedies that are happening all over the world. There are horrible little things that are happening to people everywhere. And the problem with you kind of running with this and holding on to this is you're thinking that, that you're the most important person because this happened to you. And she said, I'm so sorry to tell you, but there's all kinds of terrible things that have happened to people. And then she reminded me that I'd taken it out on every man who'd ever been involved with me up to that point. Right? I'd, made, I'd punished him for what somebody had done to me 15 years before. So I was very clear about where I was selfish. And then I was complete because I could forgive him. Right? And we tied it up in a bow when we got to the, to the ninth step. And he was on my eight step list because that's what the big book says. You make your four step and that's your eight step list. So I knew I owed him forgiveness. Right? I needed to forgive him because wounded people hurt other people. So I'd simply experienced, you know, his trauma. So it's just a transformation. I mean, this, this is a miracle. That's why I say it's not about the food. It's not about the weight. It's about something much, much deeper here. And we get to be patient and loving with one another because people put down the food when they are ready. It has nothing to do with me. But my people, my sponsees, we work the steps. We get going. So thank you for having me. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. So you'd asked how did I finally put down the sugar? I would go in and out of sugar. So despite the fact I'm not a hundred pounder, I've gained and lost about 1,670 pounds in my life, right? Because for those dozen years, I would lose and gain 15 pounds three to four times a year. That's 90 to 120 pounds a year. I did that for years. And I had reconciled myself to the idea that maybe I just was never going to get out of the sugar. Maybe I was just going to occasionally be in it in my life and occasionally be out of it. And my weight would vacillate 20, 30 pounds and, you know, be anywhere from a 14 to a size 10. Um, And that was just how it was going to be. And then in fall of 2003, the sugar compulsion was relieved. Again, because remember, I'm here and I'm always going to meetings. I'm always working the steps. I'm always doing the deal. That's a very important part of this story, right? But I, the sugar compulsion was removed. I got through, it was about this time of year. I got through this part of the season, through the holiday season, through the New Year's, and it was um, January, it was a Tuesday, it was the 13th. It was January 13th of 2004. And again, I've been off sugar now for about two and a half months. Made it through the holiday season with no sugar. My husband and I had gone to dinner. And for whatever reason, I decided I was 
going to get back in the sugar, right? We're at this fancy restaurant. It's about 11 o'clock at night. We've had our meal. And who knows? Maybe the waiter looked at me cross-eyed. Somebody pissed me off. Something, something, right? And I decide I'm getting back into the sugar. So we order a dessert. And my poor now husband, fiance at the time, right, who would always go on this roller coaster ride with me, like, you know, grips the table, right? Because I said, let's get dessert. He's like, okay, right? Because he knows where we're going now. And the waiter brings a dessert, and we're sharing the dessert, right? I'm pretending I'm one of those Hollywood-type women who can do that. But the problem is we're eating this dessert, and he's eating more than me, and I know because I'm counting. I'm counting the bites, right? So now we're in trouble because I'm back in the sugar. I've been off it for two and a half months. I have an allergy. And like my sister who's allergic to cats, you take her in her room with cats, she's going to start schnotting and snorting, right? She's not going to say, oh, it's a calico. I'll be fine, right? No, she's allergic to cats. I have an allergy to sugar, so game on. So I need to get out of this place, and I need sugar because I don't have anything in my house. My husband's got stuff at the house, but I don't eat it. He likes dark chocolate and jelly beans. I need sugar combined with fat. The only way I'm going to eat a jelly bean is if I can dip it in butter, right? So I need sugar in my system. I need to get out of this restaurant. So it's like, waiter, check, check, right? I mean, I need to get out of here. And I'm walking to the car, and my hand touches, and I'm walking quickly because I need sugar. My hand touches the handle of the car because I've already been planning the lie. Because, again, I need sugar now. It's an allergy of the body. We are like men who have never have lost our legs. We never grow new ones. That's how it is for me. And I've started it. I've now activated the, the allergy of the body. The obsession of the mind never leaves. That's why I'm here for life. But I've activated that allergy of the body. And I'm already planning the lie that I'm going to tell him because I've got to get sugar. Right. And I'm thinking, OK, I, I mean, there's a whole litany of things. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm going to tell him I got to You know, we're going to get home. I got to explain why I need to go to the store. And, and then I got to have another lie for telling him why I want him to go in and take care of the dogs. And I'm going to go alone to the store at 1130 at night. And, oh, I need tampons. But I've got a very evolved husband. He's got no problem buying tampons. But then I got to tell him, no, I need time to think because I went to the doctor this week. You know, I, he found cysts. You know, it could be cancer it could be cancer I need time alone you know and then I mean just like the lie the lies were just I'm, I'm a primo liar I have no integrity the book talks about that I have no integrity around this so right and I've been on this I've been doing this this is, this is a dozen years now I've been doing this I know this routine I got this one down and my hand and remember I'd reconciled myself year before I said man maybe I'm going to be in another sugar maybe that's how my life's going to go my hand touches the handle of the car and in that moment I thought wow I'm glad I don't live in a high-rise I thought where'd that where'd that thought come from and in that moment I finally got powerlessness because I got it then that if I didn't stop eating sugar I could no longer guarantee that I wasn't going to one day kill myself I mean in that moment I finally got powerlessness right I'd never had that experience before and I'm sure that there are some people who perhaps have taken themselves out. Maybe they didn't imagine that that's how it was going to go that morning or the week before or the month before. But I finally got it, that if I kept eating sugar, I couldn't guarantee that I wasn't going to one day take myself out. Now, what did I get up and do the next day? I had sugar again, right? That's the insanity. 
But the following day, January 15, 2004, and I was four years into my abstinence, because um, I'd start my sponsor had directed me to, to claim an abstinence date. At that point, I was 45 pounds down from my top weight. I was here doing the deal. She said, maybe sugar isn't your abstinence, but you've got, you're completely reasonable with your food. I need you to be completely transparent. Let the sugar take care of itself. So four years into my abstinence, the compulsion was removed, and I never had to eat it again. So I do not have an answer for you other than work the steps, you know, do exactly what your sponsor tells you. I always tell people, I don't argue with cops or sponsors, right? So when my sponsor tells me to do something, I do something. Again, because it solves that problem. It gets me out of the way so that a power greater than myself, right, which is easy for me to call that power God. It's not for some people. But if it's not, you know, I got a buddy who says for him, God, he's an atheist, Sierra Club member. He says for him, God is G-O-D, get outdoors, right? I got sponsees who are agnostics who use love as their higher power, right? Just follow the dictates of something greater than you that has really good intentions for you and work the steps and pray and call me, call us. Talk to people who don't eat sugar and find out what their experience is. Yeah, please. Hey, Sheila, did you actually uh, seek the guy out that molested you and make eye-to-eye uh, uh, -eye contact with no. him? No. And then, do you have, I mean, you're probably going to say the steps, do you have a substitute for sugar that you found in your life? Well, sure. Well, no, the, the gentleman was deceased. And what my sponsor had had me do is um, she's the one who taught me about writing letters. And um, so I wrote a letter to him and she said, you put three things in the letter. And it's um, and it, so it went like this. Dear Joe. And she said, keep it short. Right. Dear Joe, I forgive you for having molested me when I was 10 years old. Second thing. Please forgive me for not having forgiven you for 15 years for having molested me. And then the third thing, she said, write something nice about Joe. Because the problem is when somebody's done something horrible to us, we see him like this, right? All of a sudden, this is all they are like. This is all he is. That's not all that Joe was. You know, Joe was somebody's father. He was somebody's nephew. He was somebody's friend. He was somebody's employee. He was somebody's employer. It was a whole host of things. She said, write something nice. And so, you know, Joe always used to save the, the wheat pennies for me because he knew I really liked those. And then she said, sign off as high as you can go and love is as high as you can go. And 12-step programs are a behavioral program that lead themselves to a cognitive one, right? So you might as well go as high. So you might as well sign Love, Sheila. But if you're not there, sign sincerely. But I've always signed those letters off love. And then do I have a substitute for sugar, you'd asked? You mean in terms of something I put in my mouth? You mean like sugarless stuff? Are we talking food? Oh dear, no. I don't. Uh, I, I don't eat any. I don't do artificial sweeteners. I mean, I don't. I shouldn't say this because we're taping. But yeah, I mean, they're just not. I've, I've had too many doctors who say don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that stuff. But um, no, I don't do. I don't do agave, maple syrup. I don't do anything like that. I don't do any kind of sweetener if it's in the first four ingredients of something. So. Um, you know, and it's occasionally people will say, oh, that's so sad, you know, like at a birthday event. You know, again, I just had my birthday and, you know, the waitress brings the stuff. And she's, oh, you can't, you know, that's so sad. And I always say, you know, don't cry for me, Argentina. I've, you know, I've, I've eaten my quota of sugar. Trust me, I've eaten yours and his and hers. And, you know, don't, no, 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 no. But, um, um, and also, like, what did I just have? You know, it's fall. 
and the grapes, the organic grapes. Like, I mean, you, you have wonderful fruit. People will say, you know, said, you know, I say, have you ever had peaches in July? Have you ever been to Michigan and had apples in Michigan in the fall? Right? Grapes from California in the fall? Right? I eat sweet stuff all the time. So that's the kind of stuff I eat. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Please. Oh dear. Well, the the thing with that is is you know because this just happened to me on my birthday, of course, right? So it, I have to have that even that awareness that oh my gosh, I'm off, right? I'm on the rails. Let's get some help here. So when I do then, when I got that sense, I do a tenth step, and I do a tenth step as it's outlined in the big book, right? On page eighty four, and it talks about you know it says when you know when these specific things you know three it gives three or four things, but the reality is as my sponsor described it to me when that got pointed out to me. Um, is uh, at 22 years of sobriety. It's amazing to me how many times you can read that book and, you know, you miss stuff or stuff was... And I just talked to somebody the other day, just saw this at 20 years. So the thing I do when I'm conscious is I take a 10th step because it gives me four steps that I'm very specifically supposed to take when I'm off the rails, right? And my way of remembering it is God makes apples sweet. That's my little acronym, right? The first thing it tells you to do is ask God to remove it. Right. So if I have anger coming up, then I would ask God, you know, God, please remove this anger. Right. God makes M man share it with another man or woman. Right. It says share it with another human being. So I'll call somebody. What's your name? So I'll call somebody. Hey, Courtney, it's Sheila making a quick outreach call. Just need to do a quick 10 step. You got a minute? Yeah, sure. What's up? You know, I just have some anger coming up and I'm, you know, I'm doing that 10 step thing, you know. Oh, Sheila, what are you angry about? Oh, Courtney, you're so sweet. Thanks. I I don't even need to talk about it. I just need to tell somebody. Thank you. You know, have a great day. Love you. See you at the meeting tomorrow. Right. Then I get off the phone. God makes apples. A says make amends if necessary. So if I've shot my mouth off or I've done something stupid or said something to my husband, right, since he's usually the recipient of my nonsense, right, then I make an amends. And then it says, God makes apple sweet. The S is, it says, get into service. And how it was explained to me by the woman who pointed this out to me, sponsoring me at the time, is that 12-step service doesn't count. Because you're going to get a payoff with 12-step service. So, you know, thanks. Thanks for that, right? So my big thing is, is I, you know, I pick up, I'm a litter picker-upper, right? And I, you know, I, I have, I mean, I just had to put my dog to sleep three weeks ago. I was going to say, I was just about to say I'm a dog owner, but my little dog. Anyway, I pick up, you know, my dog's refuse and other dog's refuse. That's what I do in the world. So I do, do that in service. And the first time I employed this, right, it was about 24 hours after she'd introduced it to me, and I couldn't believe it. I had a major fear come up around some health issues. I have a health thing that I deal with. And uh, I just had some major fears just come out of nowhere. So I thought, oh, it's probably time for that 10-step nonsense that this woman told me about, right? And it must be nonsense because I haven't done it and I've been here for a long time. So I'm sure you don't need it, but I'll do it because, like I said, I do what my sponsors tell me. So I asked God to remove the fear. I called somebody and, you know, they wanted to know what I was afraid of. Didn't get into the story because stories are uninteresting. And then um, uh, didn't owe anybody amends. Hadn't done any damage yet. And then I uh, got into service. I was on my way into my gym, and I was picking up the trash on the way in. You know, got in, got rid of the trash, washed my hands, got into my yoga class. Within five minutes, I realized. And, I mean, it was paralyzing fear. It was a big, big deal fear. And my aunt had died of, you know, the issue I, you know, was, you know, the thing I was diagnosed with. So, I mean, it was a big deal. And it was gone. Gone. 
absolutely gone. So I got very, very convinced of the um, effectiveness of the 10th step. So that's what I do is I take a 10th step. And when I miss it, like I missed it on my birthday, right, and was in turmoil for a big part of the day, and who wants to be in turmoil alone? So I brought my husband along with me, right? Um, then it's, you know, sincere apologies at the end of the day and outreach calls and staying present as much as I can. And we were out of town and I got myself to a meeting. I get myself to meetings. You know, meetings are a big deal, but it's, you know, it's about the, the step work, right? So then I made sure that I, you know, got very clear about where was I at in terms of my step work. Because I should be doing daily step work for my sponsor. I, I don't. A lot of times I'm only doing, you know, writing and reading, you know, for times three four times a week but the reality is I should be doing it on a daily basis you know you can't stay clean on yesterday's shower type of thing right so yep so with all the difficulties of your past how do you get to the place of we shall not forget the past that I wish to shut the door yeah no that's the magic of the step work I mean that is you know there's a reason that it talks about the promises coming at ninth step and it's not for me and again I've never had an issue with believing in God but it, it's certainly not an idea as you I'm sorry I'm supposed to be repeating these questions is how do you get past the trauma you know through the freedom um, is uh, you know I don't imagine that there's I know in my belief system there's not a God in the heaven who's saying okay now she's you've gotten to the ninth step and you've done all this good stuff so I'm going to start throwing some promises at you because you've been a good girl no no it's not about that what happens is that my heart is opened so all I can tell you is doing that fourth step as it's outlined in the book and really seeing that I have a part in that fourth column and again if I can do I knew if I could do it with that big ticket item around being molested then anything else, I can forgive anything, right? But that, that willingness to see my part, where was I selfish to be angry at somebody who legitimately did something horrible? That was an egregious thing, right? To see where I was selfish to carry that banner and I'm going to continue to punish every man in the room and throw a few women in too. Why not? I'll punish anybody. Somebody hurt me, right? Mm-hmm. So, but to really see that I was selfish and I was dishonest because at the core I wasn't forgiving somebody and I need forgiveness in the world. Then taking that to the eighth step, because the book says your eight step list is your four steps, so then I knew I owed him forgiveness. What do I owe forgiveness for? Well, I hadn't forgiven him for 15 years. So that, that combination, all I can tell you is I'm free. I don't think about it at all. And just about everybody that I sponsor has been molested. And I'll tell you this, I've sponsored men because I sponsor men and this program and the mother program. I've sponsored men who are, um, were serial molesters of children, people in their family. And I've sat across from those men and I've listened to fist steps and seen you know, men cry like a baby. And I've looked at them with the eyes of love. And my sponsor you know, would check back in with me at the end of the day. How are you? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I've been transformed. Right. So um, it's a holy, holy thing. You know what we do here and what happens here. I'm always surprised when people stop coming to meetings and feel like, well, I don't need to go to meetings anymore. It's like, man, I would never quit coming here. I I get to be in a room where people are going to tell the truth. I didn't come from a family where people tell the truth. They still don't tell the truth. But this is a holy thing here. And I've been transformed. So that's what happened for me. Steps. Thanks. Thanks.